If it's locked, well, he doesn't have a key, does he? No, this village is keeping a secret, a big secret. It's in a large shed behind the main street. The door is locked, so you have to squint through a gap to see what's inside. Oh yes. So what, what, what's over there in the, this fifty-gallon barrels? Is it? They're, yeah, they're barrels, yeah, and they're, they're, there's, a, there's a little fire inside each one. Niall Mangan won't be around to see the big secret. He's packing to leave. Those are the cream eggs, pairs of jeans. What's wrong with the chocolate in Australia? They um, have the chocolate treated for the hot weather so it doesn't melt as quick. And I think it's that has something to do with it. Whereas the chocolate here just has nicer texture on it. And everybody likes it. I will probably have a few bags of Tato as well. A few tea bags. Just because it's a nicer flavour of tea. We can get Irish tea over there. And they'd come here and uh, he'd make a note and make cake. Further up the road from Niall's house, in a cottage on the side of the mountain, there's more chat about food. About that side of an oatmeal cake, like. Oat cakes worth burning matches stuck in them. I think it's 12 matches. Stick down 12 matches in it. Johnny Callaghan is describing a cure his father had for chest problems. Put the cake there. It's the little hole just underneath your sternum. Yeah, and he get a glass, porter glass, like a point glass. And he'd put it down on the cake like that. And the cake would rise up then on the flesh. it come up that much, whatever, in the glass. About three inches? Yes. Oh, man, he's a man, he's the one he cured out of. Back down the mountain, into the village, Toss Gibbons is also talking about magic. The bay leaf tree, just here at the corner. Oh. See coming out through the wall. Mm. So it's beginning to sprout up again. He's a retired teacher who lives in a house that belonged to a priest, who, although he was a priest, still nodded to other gods when he planted the trees around the house. Now just beyond is the holly tree, and here is the holly tree. There's two hollow trees on either side of the house. To bring good luck. And, and the bay tree for fertility, to ensure fertility. <laughs> I tell one of my sons, I says, you were passed under that bay tree far too often. He's four little tots. <laughs> this is the village of Lahardon, County Mayo. And in early 2012, everyone, absolutely everyone, is talking about the one thing. Titanic. Titanic. The Titanic. The Titanic. 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 The Titanic. Lahardon. It's in North Mayo between Castlebar and Ballina. One long street, 136 houses. On the one side, 
looming Nathan Mountain. On the other side, Restless Loch Khan. Lahardon, County Mayo, is Ireland's titanic village. In the centre of the village, the supermarket come post office. It's pension day. The old men at the checkout have the same groceries. Loaf of bread, litre of milk, small bag of vacuum-packed bacon. Bits here and there. Bits here and there. Two of them are giving the woman at the cash register a hard time. When she does the tots, they turn to each other and say that her prices are robbery. She smiles. You know she's been hearing the same carry-on every week. You also know that if she charged them nothing, they'd still say it was robbery. That's the key of that. One of the old men is Mikey Dowd, retired postman. He's leaving his bag of groceries outside the shop while he goes over to the pub for a mineral. You leave the shopping bag there, do you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and nobody will touch it, will they? I don't know. They wouldn't be bothered with the legs of that shop. <laughs> Beside the checkout, a stand selling the Western People newspaper. On the front page is an article telling of auditions for a new play. Yeah, actually, what we might do is just open the circle before we start so that everybody can... (laughs) My name is Hilary Lyons. I'm directing the play. And uh, the play was written by Michelle Jordan. It's called Names Upon the Water. The play is about the local Titanic story. The first scene is the American Wake. Right, OK, so um, we're at the American Wake. The going-away party for those emigrating. The mood is one of unbridled optimism. The dance finishes, everybody claps, the chorus splits into groups and spread around the stage where they begin talking, eating, drinking, lights up on Katie Burke and John Burke. They might call it an American Wake, but I can feel nothing but excitement. Oh, John, everything's about to start for us. A new life, a new baby... Tell me you feel the same. I'd hate it if you were sad tonight when I'm so full of joy. Jesus, Katie, sure I'm as skittery and excited as Devaney's is. I know you'll miss the people here. It's only natural. But wait till you see America. The liveliness of it all. Everywhere's buzzing all the time from morning to night. The village of Lahardon, County Mayo, is the centre of the parish of Adagul. In 1912, the parish sent 14 emigrants to travel on the Titanic. No other parish, I suppose, in the world suffered as great a loss as this parish. Eleven of the 14 were lost. An old interview with the late Bridgie Leonard gives an idea of the reaction in the parish to the news of the Titanic sinking. Can you remember, how did you hear the news that time? And I had the people talking and them crying. In the village and all over, you know, Jim Flynn, a fine young boy, was drowned and they were all going up in it and the crying water boat and sure I was excited at all this news. But for some villagers, the Titanic disaster wasn't unforeseen. The omens were there. Someone went for water to a well in the townland of Karishkaheen. When they looked into the well, fish appeared. A sure sign of impending tragedy. Also in Karishkaheen, before heading off, one of the prospective passengers came to Johnny Calhoun's father, the healer. 
he could read cups, the, you know, the tea leaves in the cups. He'd be able to read the cups and tell them oh, what's going to happen and all to that. And uh, Ellen Mangan here behind, he advised her not to go on the Titanic. He said, I see it here, he said, going down on the lens. He said, it's going to go down. And she, she failed all right, she didn't go on about the sister wind. And she, she was saved, but the poor sister went and she got drowned. Another omen. In the townland of Nochmaria, one passenger's mother was giving him a sovereign for the journey. As it passed between them, oh. it fell to the floor, a sure sign of bad luck. Oh. And near the town of Crossmalina, a man in black approached one of the female passengers and gave her a warning. It was the strangest thing, Mary. Honest to God, it was. The blood chilled in my body. What did he look like? Was he somebody new? I'd never seen him before in my life. He had his hand on the top of my arm like this, and he was standing really close, so our noses were nearly touching. And he says in this very soft voice, You're off on a long voyage. I said I was. Then he leaned in even closer and whispers, There'd be a terrible trouble, an atrocity, but you'll be all right. Not a hair on your head will perish. He must have been drunk, Edith. Was there a smell of whiskey off him? There wasn't, Mary. Honest to goodness. He must have been let out of the madhouse, Bob and Castle Bar. Don't be thinking about it, Tina. The story of the man in black is alive in the American wake scene in the Ballina play. But it's also alive during the break in rehearsal. Because one of the amateur actors says she's related to Delia McDermott, the passenger who was approached by the mysterious man. She was my uh, mother's aunt. You see, the part where she met the man in Cross Malina, she stood talking to him, and her friend told her to come on, and she says, wait a minute, she says, till I finish talking to this man. So when she came up to the friend, she says, the friend says, are you mad? She says, who are you talking to? She says, this man. She said, there was no man there. My mother had told me that but she had got it off her own mother. For some of the actors, the 1912 emigration scene in the play is not remote. I emigrated 98, went to America. And when you were listening to that bit about the wake, did that have any resonance or was it just something that happened way back then? No, the same feelings apply. Somebody's leaving. In 88, when I left, everybody was leaving Bellinav. But the same feelings apply... Families are just broken and broken-hearted. He's 23. I've only two kids, and he's my eldest. The next thing was he comes to me and says, "Mom, I have a visa. I'm going to New Zealand in two weeks." Good. Did, did he have a party or anything? Uh, he had a party with his friends, right. but with his family, it was Christmas dinner, and he wanted, "Please, Mom, make me a real Christmas dinner with all the trimmings." And I said, "When you say all the trimmings, do you mean all the?" He said, "Yeah." So I put up the Christmas tree, I put up the Christmas lights, the decorations, the whole lot, and did the dinner from start to finish. Uh-huh. Turkey, ham, the whole lot. What time of year was that? That was on the 12th of August, the 11th of August. <laughs> David's birthday. And it was that weird for you listening to all that now at the play, the, the wake, and was there any resonance at all, or was it just no, nothing to no, do with you? No, 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 no. Because you have Skype and all that kind of I thing. I can talk to him like I'm talking to you now. 
Oh, God, Mary, it might sound silly, but I just can't wait to be Mrs. Pat Walsh. I can't wait to belong to someone and for them to belong to me. That's lovely, Mary. Oh, congratulations, Mary. I I'm delighted for you. Now, come on, and we'll go back in and enjoy ourselves. There are other recreations of the American wake being planned for the Titanic Centenary Week in April. now point your toes, cross your feet. My name is Sheila Moffat and I'm the principal of the Moffat School of Irish Dancing. We are hoping to organise a version of the American wake. It'll be Irish dancing, live music, live singing storytelling. We'll be using a minimum of 18 championship level dancers to perform, two of whom are great-grandnieces of a direct descendant that was killed on the Titanic. My name is Eilish and I'm 16 years old. I'm Claire O'Kane and I'm 12. Pat Canavan was my great-granduncle. Pat was 21 when he left Laherton and he was going to his sister Kate and brother John in Philadelphia and he didn't make it but his mother was heartbroken when he died. Every evening when the rosary would be said, the prayer would be said for him. There's been stories that he helped others off the ship before himself. That's all we know. When his brother over in Philadelphia found that he was dead, um, he died a few years later, heartbroken. Did he? Yeah. And do you know why they left? Why were they leaving? They were just immigrating to get a better life. And do, uh, do you know people who are immigrating now? Yeah, a few my friends, older brothers and sisters have gone to Australia. And what's that like? Yeah, I think it's sad for them. What do your friends say to you about it? I just say they miss them, but they'll keep in contact with the internet. And do you think you'll travel? Hopefully. So outside the house that's holding the American wake, there's the sound of music, dancing and laughter from inside and the two old men uh, enter. Right. Young ones today, buck mad the lot. It's good to get outside for a bit of peace. Indeed, and it is, Tommy. Buck leaping about like idiots. I think a lot of them drunk. They like the music awful loud nowadays, don't they? I know. They have to have the hell thumped out of the bower on instead of just tapping it. And they like their tunes too fast. Well, that's for the book Leppin, Tommy. <laughs> sure, if the tunes were played at the right speed, they'd have to dance like human beings instead of animals. No wonder they're all American mad. No wonder they're all American mad. Maybe I'd go myself if I was a young one like Jim Flynn there. He's living my dream. Is he? He is, yeah. I always fancied travelling, but it wasn't done at the time. Porrick McNeely. He's in Leonard's pub waiting for Niall Mangan's farewell party before Niall and his cream eggs head for Australia. Porrick is talking about his own son, who spent time abroad, Eamon. Going back a number of years ago, he'd done the cruise ships. Bear work on the cruise ships. He'd done San Francisco down to Mexico, San Francisco to Alaska pulling the ports. San Francisco, Panama Canal. Eamon is home for a while. They've both been watching the news about the Italian cruise ship capsizing in the Mediterranean. 
once we got new passengers, we did a drill. It was never a drill for if the boat was like that. If the boat was sideways, we never drill like that. So um, I knew myself, the crew would have panicked. You, you have a tattoo on your arm, do you? Yeah, and people that admire it. So this is going back years ago when a lot of people wouldn't have a lot of tattoos. And as a wedding or whatever, they'd be on about my tattoo on there, and I'd say, I have another tattoo on my chest. And they'd say, what is it? I'd say, it's the Titanic. So they'd want to see it, and I'd open my shirt, and there'd be nothing there, and I'd say, oh, God, it's sunk. <laughs> Two months to go before Titanic Commemoration Week. In the shed behind the main street, Ray Lynn is working away on the big secret. Hello, Noel. How are you? I'm, I'm up in Lahadon. Are you looking for your saw? Come on up to Barrett's shed, Noel, and I'll give it to you. When I was young, I used to go around selling tickets for charity to houses, and there was an old woman down the road whose sister was on it. I was, of course, young and, and naive at the time, and I was saying, wouldn't it be nice to get her up and see what it looked like? And she said, no, that's my sister's grave. I le- it has to be left there. She'd been telling me about her leaving and that, and it was like a death in the family. There was going to be no back. And it was a family member going forever. Because mm. uh, it's... It's a, long, it's a long time ago. It is, but at the same time, the odd thing is that there's people leaving now as well. Well, there is, but you have more opportunity returning now. Not just sending home a few pounds and you can come home every Christmas or whatever now. And have you been away? No. Have you not? No. Now, that is unusual for a man your age, isn't it? Well, I was away on my honeymoon. (laughs) It was enough. (laughs) And did you both come back or did you just you? I was come back together, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Despite all. The mortgage was there to pay me paid. I had to keep her. Quality, the best. Right. On the other side of the road, Pauline Barrett is opening an empty shop. Now, we're not, we're getting very wet here, doesn't get this key in. Now, these doors are not the best, are we got in? It's not in a great state, ignore this here. Oh, we'll leave that, it's not like afterwards. It's been plastered. Toilet is there, but needs sorting out, cleaning up and everything. Initially, obviously, the first year to be sort of Titanic a bit orientated. We'd have lovely T-shirts, plates and mugs and sorts of things like that. Plus some lovely jewellery. Now, some of it is um, blue. It's like that. You remember the film that was made? So it's kind of based on that. It's a lovely deep blue. And the idea of having a shop and selling souvenirs, yeah. how does that sit with the whole idea of commemorating what was a tragedy? Well, you have to look at it two ways. OK, it is a tragedy... Well, there's always two sides to every story, like a coin, and we're hoping, obviously, that this will develop into, you know, a tourist area. It's not just about the people who were on the Titanic went down. The commemoration is, but around that, you're hoping that it will galvanise and it will develop.
tourism for the area because it's an absolutely beautiful area. I mean, you have Nathan in the background, you have the lakes around, you have lovely rolling countryside, and it's a different type of countryside. Hello, Pauline. Oh, good morning, John. How are you? Outside Pauline's shop, John Lynn, local pensioner, is passing by. He's connected to one of the passengers. Nora, Nora Fleming. She was going over to Captain Fleming to um, America. And um, she didn't get there. And did you go to America? No. I wouldn't trust it. You wouldn't trust it? No. Why? No, I had the boat. And you wouldn't trust the boat? No. I wouldn't go on it. Would you have gone on the plane? No, I won't go on any of them. Not a one. What about Michael O'Leary and Ryanair? Would you not trust no, him? No, I wouldn't go on any plane. No, no, no. So have you left, ever left Ireland? I was in Westmead at my sister. She's, I was just up in Westmead, like. And, um... I should be up there often enough. But you've never left the country? No, 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 no. I have no courage. I have no courage going anywhere. John recommends the parish church, which has a plaque to the Titanic passengers from the area. See them all there? The ones that got lost. You were able to read them? I can't, you see, with these glasses. Right. To those on the Titanic's maiden voyage when she sank on 15th of April 1912, dedicated to the memory of the Adderghul victims lost at sea. Karush Gaheen, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. John Burke, who was he? He was a, a neighbour mother. Toss Gibbons, the retired teacher with the magic trees outside his house, also reads from the plaque. More not for us in tribulation we were brave. But think of us, unshrouded in our watery grave. The plaque is flanked by two stained glass windows. One shows the emigrants leaving in sidecars for the train in Castlebar. The other shows a local woman in a lifeboat as it's being lowered from the Titanic. She's looking up at three of her neighbours, still at the railings of the ship, doomed to die. So it was John Burke, his wife Mary, his sister Catherine. And the two ladies were on a lifeboat, on lifeboat number 16. But John wasn't allowed on. Step aside, women and children only. Let him in, for God's sake. The boat's only half full. Prepare to lower. John, jump in. I'll shoot, I'll shoot if I have to. Get ready, two, three, Lower. And the wife, Mary, says, well, if John is not coming, I'm not going either. Let me out. I'll stay with my husband. Sit down. Let me out of this thing. And Catherine says, well, if John and Mary are not coming, neither will I go. And she went back. Because the two women decided to get off the lifeboat, another local woman, Annie Kate Kelly, got a place. She was eventually rescued and ended up in a New York hospital. There, while she was still semi-conscious, four men came into her room. They told her that in order to get to her final destination, Chicago, she'd have to sign for a rail ticket. Her hands were bruised and swollen. One of the men held her hand and signed her name. Then something was pinned to her underwear. When she awoke, she discovered that $25 had been pinned to her and that the document she had signed was a waiver 
absolving White Star Line of all responsibilities. Back in the shed behind the supermarket, as Ray and his colleagues are adding on bits, the secret is growing. It's an enormous centrepiece for a light show that it's planned will take place on Loch Conn during the commemoration week. It's 76 foot. In length? Front to back, yeah. So you have this frame built of... Well, that's corrugated iron, and they were walkways from a fish farm originally. And underneath, then, you've got these black there floats? Are, there are flotation, yeah. And were they from the fish farm as well? from the fish farm as well, yes. Yeah. So, so you have a kind of a, a skeleton of the frame built, and then will you clad that? We're going to sheeten it all off now, maybe in another fortnight's time. With what? We'll be sheeting with marine ply. And you're going to be towing it on the lake? We'll be towing it on the lake. We'll have two or three boats to bring it round. And is, is there going to be a place for you to stand up on the top and do like Kate Winslet and Leonardo? Well, if we can get Kate to come. <laughs> we'll make place for her. <laughs> And Celine Dion. Yeah, Celine can fit in somewhere. Does anyone sing that song at all? Uh, not, not in this shed, anyway. <laughs> Every year, at the moment that the Titanic sank, 2.30am, the village rings its church bell. Slow rings for the people that drowned and fast, joyous rings for the three women that were saved. Patricia Kerr, the nurse in the local medical centre. And is there one particular story for you? Pat Canavan. He was the James Bond. He was the man who sussed out how the stewards were going up through the ship and when it came to the crunch, the time came, he led the people up to the top decks. And were the gates chained? Was that why they couldn't get up? From our survivors, they never said the gates were chained. Certainly they were not encouraged. And he worked out an escape route? He did, he did. And he stood by, he stood back and he watched the women getting off the ship and onto the lifeboats and he stood there with his rosary beads. He accepted his fate, he got the women there. He wasn't just a small farmer from the west of Ireland, he was James Bond. Mary Rowland. The medical centre is the hub of preparations for the anniversary week. Mary, one of the volunteers. On the Friday night then we have the Mayo Titanic Bowl in the Pantheon Bridge with the Titanic team naturally. We're hoping to get somebody in that'll kind of make the ballroom look like Titanic or certain parts of it anyway. That of course is, is very much depending on funding and what we can get to decorate the ballroom with. And then on Sunday will be the final day. We'll, we'll start with Mass in the local church here. Following that, we'll go to the Memorial Park for the official opening. It's immigration over the last 100 years. That's what this park is about. The medical centre doctor, Paul Nolan, is down at the Memorial Park. Right, the centrepiece here, um, we're doing four effigies. Two will be looking back at the gable end, because the last thing they all saw was the gable end of their house and the little window with the light in it, and they're looking back at it. The other two are looking up towards we have the bow of Titanic. And the bow of Titanic is up here in the top left-hand corner. It's about 20 foot high. It's quite imposing. The bow represents every ship that left Ireland. 
When it's finished, the park will contain several sculptures and stoneworks. The stoneworks will include stones taken from the ruined houses of those who went on the Titanic. People bring some stone, you know, and we just build them in. People from, you know, what family, what people die on Titanic, so... Where are you guys from? We are from Slovakia. Slovakia? Yeah. All right. And you skilled with stone? Yeah, we start, you know, like in Slovakia and then come here. <laughs> if the Slovakian masons were alive 100 years ago, they may have been on the Titanic too. For all its luxury and grandeur, it was actually built to transport the thousands of poor emigrants flooding into America. The budget market, a forerunner to Ryanair. And White Star Line agents did target poorer areas with word of this great new ship. North Mayo was one such area. Johnny Callahan, the man whose father read the tea leaves, was told how many were living on the land at the time. That place now I bought up Jack. There was uh, John Caden was living on it, John Bourke, Pat Tolan, and Jack Mangan. Four of them. And it's only. It, it, 12 acres of woodland they had there. Four families on 12 acres? Four families on 12 acres. Well, did they have to live that time? But however poor people were, there was one way to guarantee an income, and that was to send a daughter to America. If you had a daughter and you had a small farm and you had no prospects and she wasn't going to marry into somebody else's place, you had to send her to America. And you did everything and then you could to get the fare to get her to America. Because once she got there, she was guaranteed to send the money home. Women were great in those days. They were very loyal. The males went to England because it was a cheaper passage if they could get that money. And they were most unreliable. They'd work on the sites or whatever was over in those days. And they'd spend their money. They probably did a lot of drinking, I'm sure. They probably got involved with other women over there. Probably got married over there very quickly. Maybe had kids and they, had to, they couldn't send the money home. And this is one thing you don't always realise about the Titanic. While those upstairs lived lavishly and were worth a lot of money, those downstairs, in third class, were also worth huge money to their families. William Barrett, who owns the local supermarket, thinks this is another reason the Titanic had such an impact on the parish. Not alone, as say, was it the loss of, uh, say, the family, friends and neighbours, but it was a major financial loss. There had to be. The money it cost to uh, put that together and send people to America... The money never came back. So I, I think there was a financial burden on people, and that's what they didn't speak about either. So there's an investment that just didn't return? Exactly, exactly. A human investment. When that human investment worked out, Mikey Dowd saw it firsthand. He's the retired postman who visits Murphy's pub on pension day. One of his jobs was to deliver the all-important parcels. Mostly from America, the parcels from America. There used to be great glee that time in the house and the parcel had come. They used to send sugar and tea and everything that time. Really? Cordons and raisins and all this, yes. From America? From America, oh, yes. Yes. It's, uh, t- uh, sweets and all these things. Candy, they used to call it in America. Yeah. The candy. They wouldn't be long getting a knife and cutting the strings. And were you there <laughs> so, when they did it? Oh, yes, you have to wait. Sometimes I might get a fancy shirt or something out of it. <laughs> I'd have to wait and see what would be in it. With some people, but more of them wouldn't. That's how it was. 
and the trousers in it. You should be as white nearly as she had the legs of the trousers. <laughs> The notion that clothes were special in America saved one local woman's life on the Titanic. Delia McDermott. She, who had met the man in black on the street, had been told by her mother that a good hat would open doors for her in the United States. Ready! Prepare to lower! In the rush to get onto a lifeboat, she forgot the hat. She insisted on getting off to retrieve it from her belongings. Have you taken leave of your senses, woman? This ship is going down and you want to go back for a hat? I brought no, my hat! I brought your decision. The lifeboat left without her. Prepare to lower! She got the hat and made it onto a second lifeboat and was saved. The first lifeboat that she had been on was never found. But how do, how do these work, these going away parties? <laughs> I Also in Murphy's pub on pension day, although way too young for one, Stephen McDonnell and Ian Leonard. They're playing a drawn-out game of pool. But what, this time last year, be about 20, 25 of us in a gang. Like. And now there's only about six. Here last Friday, there's only myself and one other lad. We're here for two hours on our own. Like. That was it. No more to be seen. But would you talk to the older people? Oh, yeah, we talk to the older people, like, but don't make as much crack. You're not going to marry one of the old lads anyway. No. <laughs> and are the women going as well? Uh, what women? They're all gone as well. <laughs> well, there's not a lot around, anyways. Uh, what was the, the going away party that was on that you were saying I, shouldn't, I should have been here for? <laughs> what Who was that for? That was one of the lads, Keith, yeah, he's going to New Zealand. And is it formal? Do, do people make speeches and do they... Uh, <laughs> not usually, but we made him do one. And what did he say? Thanks for coming. <laughs> Nothing much more. And do people get emotional? Uh, one or two of the girls now would have been getting emotional on that. Do men and women react differently to emigration? None of my young ones are at home now. Every one of them in England or America, it affects the women. Uh, a woman would feel it more than us, wouldn't she? Definitely. A man's made of sterner stuff than a woman. True, true. She's always talking about them and reading their letters over and over again. She keeps every single letter they're ever sent in a little box in the dresser. When you're leaving a place, you do look back and you do think sometimes about that life there. I just want to read you as they were... One of the items Pauline Barrett will sell in her Titanic shop is a book she's written on the 14 who left the parish to travel on the ship. It's a factual book, except in one case, where Pauline imagines what it was like for the 14 to sit on the sidecars as they were taken away from home for the train to Cove. As they look back, they must have seen like never before the landscape of their youth. Every homestead they passed, every field, bush and flower, every mountain range and lake, the smell of turf smoke from the freshly lit fire. And they remembered days in the bog cutting and saving turf. Cutting the meadow, making cocks of hay, the reek. Threshing oats, baking bread. And the big black pot hanging on the crane over the fire. Their thoughts all ran together like a litany of prayers. 
offered up to those they were leaving behind but would never forget. Did you draw on any personal experience when you were writing that? Yes, I did. I drew on what I felt having lived here when I was young. And then we went to England. And then every summer, uh, you know, you always came home, sometimes at Christmas, but always every summer. And you'd help on the farm. And you'd have this feeling, you'd be looking back through the window, the small back window of the car, I remember. And you'd be watching everyone till they faded. And they were crying and you were crying and you were waving and you said nothing. You had this silence all the way to the train station. You couldn't speak with a lump in your throat because you didn't want to leave. Even thinking about it now gives me a lump in my throat because I see those images. And you thought of all the things you did that summer and all the images you had from the farm, which carried you to the next year. And I suppose it carried those immigrants on their journey, although they had this great excitement about going on the ship. This is something I want to say about emigration very strongly. People talk about it. They talk about statistics. They talk about how many have to go. But I, unless you have been through it, you never will understand immigration. No, the best thing that will happen to them is they had to go. Paul Nolan reckons he does understand emigration. If they stay three or four or five more years in this, in this village and every other village like it, from the top of Donegal down to Cork, West Cork, they will be ruined after five years of living on the dole not getting jobs and not getting satisfaction for their ambitions. Their ambitions will be, will be satisfied abroad. They can always come back. And when they come back, they're used to hard work and really hard work and making money. If they stay around here, they get used to getting money handed over to them and it's a very, very bad habit and it ruins them within five years. And I've watched the ones that haven't left and I've watched them decay as time goes by. And then I always admired the ones that come back from even from England or in the old days and from America and Canada and out the mount and the ones from Australia. God, they're used to hard work and they're enthusiastic about it and they're not only here they want to go again because they want to go working again. It's wonderful to see and them immigrating. Were there no tears in your house when your children immigrated? Not a one. You encouraged them all to go. And that's the West of Ireland. You encouraged them. It was always called the curse of the West immigration. It was the blessing of the West. They got away. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Everybody should go away for at least a year, if not two years. Niall Mangan, still packing for Australia before heading down to his going-away party in the pub. When we first left, we travelled a lot of different countries and um, what you see is an eye-opener, and people should, because it broadens your mind. Whereas you're living here, you don't see outside the countryside and that, and it, it's amazing the difference. Like In the doorway of the room, Niall's mother is watching him packing. She's quiet. Will you go to the airport tomorrow? Yeah. And how are you feeling about it? Fine. Fine. You're putting on a brave face. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Exactly. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, Look, that's okay. No, right. Honestly, I don't really mind because I know he's happy where he is.
that would have been the house where John Burke, his sister Mary, and his wife Catherine McHugh who perished on the Titanic, would have lived before they sailed away. That was the Mannions in there. At first, Mary you're Mannion surprised that such a small village is making such a big effort to commemorate the Titanic disaster. Although my grandmother said that he attempted to get in and the and the oar was put in and he was stopped. He was but then you realise that memory is what Lahardon does well. The graveyard, for example, down by the lake, is one of the best maintained in the country. Voluntary work, they come down every Sunday morning as from us, uh, 10 o'clock and they do about four hours here. Bought their own lawnmowers and all their own tools down and they, they do it as a labour of love because it's all their ancestors here. They have great respect for the ancestors in one sense and it was, I'm very proud of the way they did the graveyard. And we, we love it in summer because it's the most beautiful picturesque spot going and there's very few graveyards to match it. Maybe memory and history are so important here because it's a place of transit. People live here for a while, move on, come back. There are English accents everywhere, for example. The children of people who left here and reared them in the United Kingdom and then those children returned to Mayo. To be honest now, I grew up in Leeds Irish Centre and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here now, but I'd say 85% of the people in there originated from Mayo. Perhaps memory is so important here because if you forget, then you really have left. When Eamon McNeely, the cruise ship worker, is abroad, he always remembers two dates, the Titanic anniversary, the 15th of April, and... The 15th of August here in Lahadon. The fair day. It's like Christmas Eve. Your mates are sort of home from college or work. When I was out in Australia every 15th of August, I'd still have me a few drinks, book it off. So, and the boys in Australia knew about that. So, yeah. so in spirits, you were connected. Yes, I was still connected in spirit. We're trying to keep the Titanic story going. We're trying to keep the story alive. It gives people hope for the future that their legacy will remain on. In 100 years' time, their families will still be connecting. That's why we're focusing on the legacy this year. Just get it out there to the Irish diaspora that, yes, they are being remembered. While, yes, they're going, they're leaving, they're being remembered and their memory is kept alive. Finally, Niall Mangan arrives at his going-away party. He'll be flying London, Abu Dhabi, Brisbane. And the journey begins up the road at Knock Airport. I'm flying out at nine in the morning. All right. I only found out. And how long beforehand do you have to be in the, the airport? It's not ninety minutes. Ah, uh, like half an hour. Out. Well, sometimes ten minutes depends. <laughs> it's now early April a few days before Titanic Commemoration Week. Niall Mangan's brother Owen, a college student, is planting trees in the village. How's Niall getting on in Australia? No, he's getting on good now, he loves it over there. Is he? Yeah, he really been, enjoying it. He hasn't been crying on Skype, has he? No, no, not yet, no. That's the one thing we can drive. Oh, yes. <laughs> we can drive it down now. Um, planting trees here to represent the 14 people who uh, travelled on the Titanic. There's rowan trees, there's cherry blossom trees and there's sorbus trees. 
to represent where the 14 people who travelled on it, where they were from, where growing trees grew from where a certain amount of them lived and then I think the cherry blossom trees grew where another few lived. Up the road, Pauline Barrett's new shop is open. Very nice. Oh, we had an awful lot of people coming in from the village, obviously, and people down from Castle Bar. Are you still concerned about money? Do you think you're going to lose on it, or will you? Well, so far it seems good, seems quite good, very promising. Very promising. In the Memorial Park, the nurse is putting colourful beach stones at the foot of the bronze sculpture of the bow of the Titanic. We are recreating the rocks that uh, Titanic never saw. Countdown is on a week to go. Uh, I feel like I've laptop attached to me at this stage. <laughs> but you know what's going to happen now? What? You know what's going to happen now? What? People are going to take away a stone and as a memento. The doctor and the retired teacher are also in the park and also with stones in their hands. Oh, they'll be picking stones for a year. Picking them out of the new lawn. We have to, because we're opening next Sunday. We have the great Mary Robinson here. Looking forward to that. Were you talking to your man, uh, her secretary? I was, yeah. Is Enda here coming here that Sunday as well? Enda's coming the following Sunday. Um, That's the Sunday after Easter, otherwise known as Low Sunday. And he will officially declare the park open at about four in the afternoon. Is there anything that's not working out for you? Is there anything that you're kind of thinking, I should have done this different or... I have a lovely expression that you learned years ago is, um, you may well die of starvation while feasting upon promises. And that's, we, we were like lots of other communities, we went and borrowed the money on the strength of getting funds from various uh, government bodies, but the money is really held up badly and we're, banks are charging interest and anxious to get started for repayments to start. The park is laid out with Nathan Mountain imposing itself in the background. It's impossible to take a bad photo here. The mountain, the old tree, the sculptures in the park all sit in the frame nicely. Even the telegraph poles have been removed to make sure they don't spoil the scene. Women and children only, sir. These are my brothers and sisters. Our parents are... In Ballina, Final rehearsals for the Titanic play. I'm sorry, sir. The set shows the side of a ship with a platform right. from which the lifeboat is lowered. Now, sir, please stand back. Right, children, you heard the man. You go on the lifeboat for the women and children, and I'll follow you very shortly on the men's lifeboat, OK? But I don't want to go without you, and I'm cold. I know, Jack, but you have to. They're the rules, and Tom will look after you. <laughs> under lock and key and wraps, you know. The first thing about before you go in here, I'm going to tell you, you've got five or six guys with no minimum qualification on paper. There's no welder, no, no carpenter, no nothing. Just great with their hands and common sense. Back in Lahardon, the big shed with the big secret in it is still locked. And there's new fencing to stop people sneaking in for a look. Did you find that, Liam? Don. Inside, the centrepiece for the sound and light show on the lake. Ah, fantastic. That's just a light of day now. You can imagine the dark of night. Ah, oh, man. Now, what's going to happen with that is 
on the night in question of the ball when it pulled up outside the hotel. William Barris, the supermarket owner, is bursting with pride about it. But like everyone else in the village, he can't tell outsiders about it. The five or six guys have done that, and they, they didn't miss a night or a Saturday or Sunday since January. They were here this morning, first thing as well. Over the past few weeks, the world's media have been through the place to tell the story of Ireland's Titanic village. Sky, CNN, the New York Times, but everyone in the village is sworn to secrecy about the lake display. Why? because they're afraid of a fiasco. They're going to sneak the 76-foot-long structure out of the shed and down to the lake under the cover of darkness. They'll launch it into a secluded bay. If it floats, they'll tell the world about it. If it sinks, they'll pull it up and sneak it back into the shed. The last thing they want in Titanic Commemoration Week is to have something sinking out in the middle of Loch Conn. We can't afford to have a sinking this. We go down in history for all the wrong reasons. Broadcasting live to the west of Ireland. Midwest Radio News on the Hour. Good morning, I'm Angelina Nugent. The wraps came off a County Mayo community's most closely guarded secret yesterday when a 76-foot model of the Titanic was launched on Loch Conn near Cross Malina. There were fireworks in the sky over Loch Conn last night as the mini Titanic was floated past the Pontoon Bridge Hotel while a Titanic ball was taking place. The apparition, as it was described, came as a total surprise to the more than 400 guests who were attending the function. Unlike the original vessel 100 years ago, yesterday's inaugural voyage from a bay near the village of Lahardon went without a hitch. In calm conditions, several local fishing boats towed the engineless Titanic II from its secret berth to the southern shore of the lake, where it formed the centrepiece of last night's show. Midwest Radio will be broadcasting from Lahardon.